Welcome, you're listening to a members-only broadcast brought to you by Barnabas Foundation, your trusted ministry partner for planned giving. And here's your host, Kurt Knoll, Director of Member Relations. This podcast comes to you from our March 2020 Proven Strategies for Planned Giving event. In this session, Naris McEwen from Child Evangelism Fellowship shares how they've been able to promote planned giving at major events, from the initial invitation to the event execution and the donor follow-up. Uh, next up is Naris McEwen. Um, Naris is going to come up and talk a bit about uh, planned giving at events. Um, but Naris comes to us from Child Evangelism Fellowship, where she has served for the last 20 years as a director of planned giving. Um, and CEF, if you don't know, is one of the largest evangelical uh, outreach to children in the world. They are operating currently in 194 countries? Oh, 206 countries, which I imagine is North Korea. So this organization is advocating for children globally around the world, and last year they reached um, 25.5 million children who reached for the gospel through their work. And so, Naris, I look forward to hearing what you have to say. Well, it's truly my pleasure and my privilege to be here today. And as Kurt said, I serve the ministry of CEF. Uh, it is one of the greatest passions of my life to be able to do this because of what we are doing, reaching the children. And when we say we are in 206 countries, that doesn't mean we go in and do an evangelistic campaign or we pass out a bunch of literature. No, that is teacher to child, face-to-face, -face, daily ministry with trained teachers and curriculum that we have developed. And so reaching 25.4 million children that basically means, if you break it down by the minute, that about every, uh, I shouldn't do that, every beat and a half of your heart, one child has again heard the, about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So our goal is to reach boys and girls with the gospel, to disciple them in the word of God, and then connect them to a good local church when that is possible. 96% uh, of our workers are nationals working in their own country with their own children. And 96% of our ministry is overseas. So in America, uh, our ministry is actually not as strong as it is in many, many countries. So it is a joy to be a part of that. And we are a faith-based organization. Uh, and here in the United States, it's our desire to be in every public elementary school and on every military installation. So we're working aggressively to do that. But since we're faith-based and totally faith-giving organization, we need to be continually developing relationships with people, with our donors, and bringing in new people to help us. I often tell our workers that they know that their ministry is to, I call it, capture the heart of a child for the Lord. But their other ministry is to capture the heart of the adults to help us reach the children. Because if we don't have a big ministry to the adults, we will not be able to reach the children. Uh, and when I say, I say fundraising is ministry because the purpose of every single contract, whether, contact, whether it be a um, phone call, a face-to-face -face visit, a note, we are to bless and encourage and help those that we are working with. And if we approach our work in that way, God blesses, you're blessed, and the people are blessed because you give them the opportunity to become involved in something great that the Lord is doing. So we have many, many ways to touch our people, but uh, one of the things that we do is we have major events. And twice a year, we have what we call major donor events. We call them 
good news gatherings. And we have some smaller events too, but to work these, it, it's a tremendous amount of effort and energy, but we have to start way in advance. So as we promote these events, uh, what we do to promote the planned giving luncheon that we always have at these events is really the same thing that you do to just promote the event itself. We have to start very, very early. So five months in advance, we send out a save the date notification. This has the obvious information. What are the dates? What city is this gonna be held in? What is the venue? What's the name of the hotel? It gives the names of the speakers. It gives uh, the musicians. We always have a Bible teacher come in and it shows a picture of Amy here, Amy Beatty. She comes to these events and works with us. So the very initial contact that we have with the people talks about in just a very short way these different things that are going to happen at the at the uh, planned or I shouldn't say that I mixed up because we have rebranded our events we used to call them ministry briefings now we call them um, can't even hardly think here uh, the good news gatherings and so but the initial uh, thing is just save the date we find it's very important to get this out about five months in advance because people do plan out their years and even when they're retired and no longer necessarily locked into a job, they only go away from home so many days out of the year usually. So you want to get in on that very first thing. As we promote our events, uh, there's two portions to that, I would say. One is the people work. The other I call the paperwork. And the paperwork would include your printed visibility, what you are giving out to your people. So I'm first talking about our printed visibility, which starts with this, and then I will include the people work that we do in concerning this. Uh, that's five months out. Four months out, we send the actual invitation. We try to make this as nice looking as we can, very vibrant in color, uh, and this goes into more detail. This gives a little more information about how we partner with the Barnabas Foundation, how that there will be an attorney there that we will have at a luncheon that will give out information, answer questions, and then we have individual appointments for people where they can meet and have a confidential appointment there at that time. So that is at four months. Two and a half months later, we resend this same invitation once again to all those who have not responded. Uh, if they have not responded, it's amazing that that second invitation, what it produces. A lot of people get that early invitation, and yes, they might save the date, but they don't let you know. Or they're thinking about it, and they really haven't done anything about it. Uh, sometimes it sits out on the kitchen counter long enough, and then the people end up uh, throwing it away. But when they get the second one, they usually act. So the second one is very, very important to do. So this is part of what I call the paperwork part. But now in the middle of all this, from starting five months and sometimes five and a half months in advance, our reps and our staff that works in our department are all busy doing things to help get people there. Uh, the reps are out on the road having individual appointments. They are writing notes. They are making telephone calls. Uh, since we do the twice a year, and I do uh, what we call a lasting legacy newsletter for the planned giving, um, there's always one of those in the middle of the process. So I always put a cover letter with the planned giving newsletter, 
And in that cover letter, if I know somebody's coming to the briefing or I'm hoping they're going to come or we've worked with them before, I, on about four to 400 of them, I will write a personal note. And I will say, I look forward to seeing you at the briefing. It may be somebody I've never met before. It's going to be good to know what you look like, you know. And I just put these little notes on there to encourage them so that they are aware we will be there. And uh, so all of these things are going on besides the printed visibility that is taking place. Another thing that is happening is we have at the briefings, as we are basically doing our ask near the end of the briefings, we tell the people we would love for them to come again, and we would like to bring, have them bring somebody with them that is like-minded. Pretty much everybody has a concern for their children or their grandchildren, and they know that they're not being taught pretty much anywhere else about the Lord. And so we know that they have an interest in children hearing the gospel. You know that only 20% of the people in America today, the children of America, will ever darken a church door. So we've got to be somewhere where they are. That's why we are in the public schools. But we ask them to bring somebody like-minded with them. On our pledge card, we, I have a little box that they can check. I would like to have a small meeting in my home. And then the reps will go to these, uh, and they bring in their like-minded friends, a small group, maybe just two or three couples, and the rep will talk to them about the ministry and give them the invitations that, that's for, for them to be able to come. And as was said earlier, every time you go somewhere, leave something behind. Make sure you leave something behind with the people. So all this is going on. We have the save the date, the first invitation, the second invitation, all of the people work. And then we have the RSVPs start to come in. Here's just more on the invitation. Uh, and it always has a breakout session. It has something in there concerning the planned giving. Then the RSVPs start coming in. And when the RSVPs come in, we call the people, thank them for accepting the invitation, tell them we're looking forward to seeing them, and let them know that we are going to send them a little booklet. And this little booklet you can see says, Making the Most of Your Weekend. This is a several-page booklet. And again, it expands and gives more depth and fleshes out all of the different things that are going to take place. And this one, this particular page right in the very middle of the book talks about the planned giving, what will be available, how they can meet, uh, how we can have individual appointments. So that takes place at that point. Then the event actually starts. We have a reception area at the hotels that we meet the people, and they are given a guest manual. The guest manual, again, repeats all the things that we have talked about, gives more information about the estate planning luncheon. And what I failed to mention earlier, which I'll mention quickly here, is just so you know a little bit about what our events are like. They start on a Thursday evening with dinner, with a short meeting afterwards. They continue through Sunday, and we close with a worship service where the president of our organization gets up and shares the word of God so that they know not only does our president have a heart to reach children, but he has a, a heart for the word of God. Uh, in between, we have meetings every morning and every evening. Uh, we serve breakfast and dinner, but lunch, they're on their own. And then they have the afternoons free to enjoy the venue, whether they want to go just relax or golf or swim or go to the beach, whatever, because we will have usually one briefing uh, on the West Coast each year and one briefing on the East Coast. So that's kind of the venue. And then in the middle of that, we do have the estate planning lunch. 
but they arrive at the hotel and we have a little area where we greet our guests. Uh, we hand them their manual, which gives them information. It gives them the schedule. And uh, right there in the middle of the schedule is the plan giving lunch. And then one thing I think that has been very profitable is uh, it, it continues to give information. And then we give them an actual ticket to the lunch so that they have a ticket. Because remember, we're not providing lunch for anybody, but we do provide this lunch at this moment in time. This is also a great time for me and our reps to be able to meet and greet the people that are coming. And I find this to be invaluable. They're usually a registration of about three hours. I try to be there almost every minute of that. And I can greet the people I already know and talk with them. And you'd be surprised how often one of them that has been to a previous briefing will come up to me and say, hey, Neris, I have all my paperwork done. It's all finished, and CEF is being remembered in the will. And these may be people that never even went through the process with us, but they came to the luncheons, they heard things, and they moved forward. Uh, there are other people that will come up and say, hey, I do want an appointment this time. Can you fit me in? So this is a very valuable time, and then also to meet the people that you've never met before. So this is important. Uh, this is the back of the guest ticket for the luncheon. Now, I give an announcement. <laughs> uh, and to me, this is very critical because here you're in the middle of a weekend that is really fun. And they're learning an awful lot about the ministry because we talk about how we train, how we equip, how we support. And we definitely do an ask. We let them know right up front that that's what's going to be part of this whole thing. But then in the middle of that, to talk about planned giving and estates may not be so exciting to people. So I honed that announcement down very, very carefully and try to make sure I make every word count. I get a three to four minute slot. And so you have to be very wise with what words you're going to use. And I try to create almost a tension, I would call it. Because what I want the people to understand is, in a way, they have a problem. They, they don't have their paperwork done or it's been a long time. It needs to be reviewed. And we can help. I mean, if you can get them so they understand, you know, I really need to do something about that, because usually what happens? The only way people really get into that is when there's a life event change, when maybe there's a bad life event change, a, a friend gets killed, or they get a bad prognosis or something, or it can be a good one. Somebody gets married or has a baby, and they said, I've got a plan, and then they'll do it. But this gives them the opportunity to talk. And so then the other thing that we do, and then I'm going to close here with one other thing. To me, after all the work, all the people work, all the paperwork, probably one of the biggest draws, and it sounds crazy, but it's just the fact that it is a free lunch. Remember, they're going to have to pay for their lunch otherwise. And it's true, everybody that comes certainly has the capability to pay for their own lunch. But there is something about a free lunch that attracts everybody. And they come, and some of the people come every time they come, and some come every couple years. We've been doing this since 2006. And when they come, they learn something. And it's often the third or fourth time they come that they'll finally say, hey, I would like to meet with you and Amy. And so that's kind of the way it is. We also, in addition to this, put things, there is a special website for the events. But I have five minutes left, and so I can give you my three to four minute announcement, okay? <laughs> so you can kind of get an idea of what I try to do to make sure that as the people are there, that they actually um, want to come. 
And I will say that we usually have about 55 to 65 percent of the people that will come to the lunches from the group that we have. Most of our groups go from uh, probably one of our smaller um, events would be about 60, 65 to 70 uh, guests. And some of the largest one, I think, had almost 200 guests. So there's a lot of people there, and I, there is a value to them coming back again and again because it gives them an opportunity to give without somebody coming and doing a real direct ask in their home, you know. So there's a lot of advantages. But as I try to create the dynamics so that they will feel like they need to take some action, this is, I think, an example of the last announcement that I made. I began um, several years ago recording artist Steve Green sang a song that had a very, very poignant phrase. May those who come behind us find us faithful. And I do believe that as we walk and as we live, our walk and our talk should convey that to our friends and loved ones. But what every single believer should be sure to do is to take advantage of what is their very last opportunity to show faithfulness and to give testimony, and that is through what we call our last will and testament. So in light of that, let me pose a few questions. Question number one, do you have a will? Almost 60 to 70% of the people in America don't even have a will. So do you have a will? Then, does your will reflect the values to which you've dedicated your life? That's important. What have you dedicated your life to? Does your will reflect that? Then, what is God calling you to do with that which he's placed in your hands? He has distributed to each and every one of us a portion of his wealth. What are we doing with it? What does he want? He is the owner. We are not. We are his stewards. How can we best please him? Then I often add this. This weekend, you're learning a lot more about what the ministry of CEF is doing and how God is using it to impact the children of the world. You have partnered with us, whether it be through service, through gifts, through prayers. And that means that you have impacted the children of the world. Would you like that impact to continue even after you go to be with the Lord? There are some wonderful, wonderful tools and options available that believers need to know about and to utilize. And in order to bring you critical information about these things, we partner with the Barnabas Foundation. Their staff are well-versed both in estate law and gift law. And we are privileged today to have one of their attorneys with us. That's how I begin. And then I go on and I share just a little bit more. But I hope that that brings a dynamic to the people so that they will feel like coming to this luncheon will be profitable. Then we very much honor their time and their, um, we get them in the minute the person, last person is served if the dinner is plated or if the lunch is in a buffet, the last person going through the line, we immediately start talking so that they can go. And then we offer these appointments. And pretty much every appointment, we've had a few exceptions, but most of the time every appointment is filled. And I will say our briefings have been very successful with current giving and pledged giving. We usually make our pledge last just the year of the gift and the next year so that then people will be wanting to come back again. Because then, you know what, they come back again when they're ready to give again or when they're ready to bring somebody with them. But I will say that as good as we get current gifts through the briefing, the future expectations because of the planned giving lunch often are two to three times what the briefing brings in. 
And so we have a lot of future expectations on the table right now that are fun to know about because you just see how the Lord is working and how provision will come in. So any comments or questions? I hope I didn't leave out what might have been the most important thing. But <laughs> it would have changed your life, but too bad I forgot it. Thank so. you so much, Neris, for sharing all of that. Um, I'm going to push the um, button so we don't oh. <laughs> get a oh, buzz. Yeah. Is that it? Look at that. You finished like with 50 seconds left. I know. Neris, uh, I, I know that several of the people in the group are wondering if you would be willing to come to their event and, <laughs> and do the pitch for them. Are you going on tour for this pitch? Because that was just absolutely perfect. Thank well, you. thank you. That was great. Well, the great thing about that pitch is it's now recorded, oh. and it'll be part of our podcast. <laughs> well, I do think it's important to have a couple good stories. I've got a couple other ones, and they're not necessarily donor stories as much as they are to make them think about the impact that they can have. I have one about civil war currency as verse, you know, and heavenly currency, and uh, one about a, a job interview, but, or not a job interview, just a uh, interview between Billy Graham and Larry King and Jackie Gleason. So uh, things like that that will perk them to want to come and to realize that there's maybe something of real value that they can learn. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Questions for Neris? I'm just curious what materials you have at the event for the donors. You always have a leave behind, so I'm curious what you bring to yours. Oh, I, I failed to mention this. One of the things we do bring to the event also, and we usually have this on one table out where the guests can see it, is we have a lot of the co-labeled materials that Barnabas gives us. So seven reasons to review your will, um, things about uh, cruts, uh, things about gifts, how to give gifts of stock. And we, and we have those available laying on the table. And then uh, we have uh, adapted the smart and powerful brochure. And uh, my boss likes informed and powerful live giving better. So, so we have slightly changed it, but we have that available at all times. Um, then also, one of the things people make sure you do is present before your boards. Uh, I have presented before our board before. I go out on the road and teach fundraising classes to our local and state staff, and I always do an estate planning thing then, and then with them, I am very direct. I tell them, if we don't put CEF in our estates, if we don't give to CEF, how can we ask anybody else to do it? So I'm very direct on that. But I think you can say anything with a smile on your face. <laughs> Pretty much. Neris, uh, quick question over here. Oh, okay. um, this is your annual major donor event? We do two a year. The briefing? Y yes. OK. And just curious, um, what's your criteria for that? And do you do anything different for people for the lunch in terms of invitation? Now, anybody that comes to the briefing gets invited to the lunch, although there is also usually a conflicting lunch where our president will take a few of the donors and have lunch with them at the same time. So we don't always get everybody that can come. Our criteria for the giving it's, is a little bit flexible. We are hoping that donors do have a capability of giving $20,000. Uh, but we are happy if they give at least five. 
We have been very successful in that. I know, I don't know what, I've heard what national averages are. When people come, they say if you get 60% of your people that come to give, that that's a good percentage. Well, I, I almost think that's deplorable because I shouldn't think anybody would accept an invitation to a fundraising event without giving, you know. So our, our average is almost 80%. Almost 80% people give. And then, uh, but they never give the biggest gift at the first one. There's always, usually the second or third time they come where their heart really gets involved, um, that they do it. And then, um, oh, uh, I forgot. Oh, and then we ask them to bring like-minded people. And that is a real crucial thing, to get them to come. And then if you can space these out, uh, so we have anywhere from, like I said, 65, 70 people to 175. The biggest we had was at the Cove, Billy Graham's grounds, because people, a lot of people just wanted to see that. But we do East Coast, West Coast. We find a lot of people will come west or go west, but not too many people will come east. So don't know quite why. Thank you for listening. This has been a members-only broadcast brought to you by Barnabas Foundation. Learn more about the variety of resources, tools, and training available to you by logging into the Member Center at www.barnabasfoundation.com.